Welcome to the Athletic Business Podcast. I'm Jason Scott. I'm Andy Berg. And today on the show, we are talking to Mike Sabatini. He's a senior architect and principal with Populous. And we're talking about uh, ballpark design. We've got yeah. spring training coming up. MLB season's around the corner. It's that time of year, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Finally starting to warm up a right. little bit outside. So yeah. uh, Mike and I had a conversation over a video conference where we talked about um, trends uh, in terms of spectator amenities as well as player amenities. Um, we talked about player development and operations from a design perspective. Yeah. So it's a really interesting conversation, uh, and we hope that you enjoy it. Uh, coming up is the conversation with Mike. We'll be right back after this. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. Coming up is my conversation with Mike Sabatini. His firm Populous just recently designed the new TD Ballpark. That's the spring training facility for the Toronto Blue Jays. So you'll hear him reference that during the conversation. Uh, and yeah, here it is. Was that a Jayhawk that I saw on your shirt there, yes, Mike? Yes, did. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm a diehard. I, I attend all the... My dad played ball up there, and um, so is that right? I've been attending football games and basketball games since um, grade school. Wow! Um, well, yeah. I regret to inform you you're speaking to a Missouri Tiger, but oh, um, seriously, we'll we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for being willing to talk with me, uh, oh, despite that. So, I guess my first question, just right off the bat, is: I know that you guys have been involved in a pair of new spring training facilities. Uh, can you just maybe give us a brief overview of, of what's included in those projects? Um, I know that, you know, they offer they offer different things in terms of seating capacity, fan amenities, and stuff like that. So, Yeah. Most of the, the renovations, specifically if you look at the Florida market, um, this, this particular one at TD was probably about 20 years since it actually been touched. Mm-hmm. So obviously the, you're right about the fan amenities, but also architecturally the the city really wanted to make this fit. It's one of the fewest um, ballparks that actually sits in a residential area. Mm-hmm. And so they specifically wanted to make it more of Dunedin, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time looking at coastal architecture. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the scale of, residential versus a scale of a building like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of challenge of that because they are a lot different scale wise. So we, we specifically looked at using the materials itself in a way to help scale the building down. Interesting. And so we, we, we thought about that quite a bit, but most of the, and then the, obviously the amenities, when you think about baseball, it's more about experiences. Mm-hmm. And that you can always come back and have a different experience. So right. baseball, unlike a lot of the other sports, is not driven by the seat itself because it is a longer duration. There's a lot of stoppage of play. People like to get up out of the seats and walk around. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing trend-wise um, in the industry is that people want to get up and they want these different experiences. So, I mean, we've got ballparks, not this particular one in TD, but we may have 14 different types of seating. If mm-hmm. you, and minor league baseball is in, compared to major league baseball, it's more about entertainment. 
I mean, they're even considering, I've talked to clubs that looked at, well, let's maybe offer three innings of seating. And mm-hmm. then after three innings, you go up and go sit somewhere else. Hmm. So not only packaging instead of a full, like a 60 to 70 game season ticket, we're looking at maybe only 20 games and we'll divide that even further. So mm-hmm. continue looking to increase that experiential um, idea, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that's really what a lot of these renovations are about. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and with that in mind, was, um, I mean, were there any particular amenities that you included for fans in, in uh, the TD Ballpark project? Sure. Yeah. Um, specifically, um, the whole fan experience, even from the curb, and that's kind of what we look like. When you jump on the curb and you walk across the street or whatever, your experience starts there. Right. Whether it's landscaping or the branding or we come, you know, have like maybe it's a tailgating kind of experience. Then you get into the gate and just the whole, the whole obviously looking at total, it looks totally different now because mm-hmm. of that architectural piece I talked about. But specifically for the fans, there are new food offerings, you know, mm-hmm. tied in with um, local vendors, if you will. So mm-hmm. trucks, um, we tried to think about, you know, if you had a local chef that wanted to set up shop, you know, just as a, as a one-off, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, different areas for barbecue where it's covered. Shade is a big deal in Florida. Yeah. So we had different areas where it could be shaded. And we took advantage of an autograph area, which is existing. So it's, again, in minor league and spring training, you have access to players. Mm-hmm. What you feel in the major league ballparks where you have a specific autograph time before the game, you can autograph, but a lot of times it's pretty short and it's very few in spring training. You get access to all of them, if you will. So we particularly took um, an area where they did the autographs and we put a covering over it and actually became a 360 walkway all the way around the outfield, but underneath where they could be in the shade, the players could be in the shade, do the autographs. And then during the game, it became a group zone. Mm drink rails, more social gathering areas. So we created those kind of in uh, what we consider destination places mm. around the ballpark, um, in the outfield, and then down the line, third base, there's actually an enclosed area because the city also wanted to use that space as a, um, a community room when games are not going on. Mm-hmm. So it could be isolated in itself. But there's covered patios, down the line, as well as out in the outfield. So those gathering social spaces is kind of what we're seeing being done, and that's what we did out there. That's interesting because I, I think that you're seeing more of that um, in not just baseball venues, but all sorts of, of venues. Uh, and you, you would obviously know that better than I would, but um, many well, more it's a, Yeah, it's all about this. I think I show this all the time when yep. I talk to people because what, I, yeah, it's, it's about connectivity. And it's not necessarily about the sport and the game. People want to be seen and they want to be able to connect out. And you're right. No matter what the sporting event is, unlike probably your big misery, you want to go see a football, basketball. Right. I'm huge. I don't spend any time. The only thing I do, in which I think a lot of people do if you're into the sports, is the stats. So I'm looking down. If I'm looking down, it's not because somebody's texting me. I'm looking at the stats. If we're right. shooting well who's turning the ball over, those kind of things. And I think there is, a, there is for those guys who are like that, and then there's others who may be more like Kimberly, who mm-hmm. like to sit at the bar and talk to her friends. 
<laughs> and I said, yeah, there's a game going on. Yeah, I saw a home run. Yeah, but, you know, I'm here with my friends. Sure, sure. Uh, you have to kind of, these things have to, they have to evolve. I think what the, the teams are finding right now is how do you capture the Kimberleys? Mm-hmm. They've got somebody like me that will come out to a game, right? But, and families, because it's, you know, when you talk about minor league and you talk about spring training, it's usually about families. Mm-hmm. It's a very inexpensive entertainment night. But how do you get somebody who's in their 20s to come out to a, that could really care less about baseball? Right. Basketball. How do you get them to be involved in it? And mm-hmm. so we're building these isolated, like we're talking about the third base hangout area, these isolated pieces that, yeah, you could bring your friends out there, have, have a drink at the bar, and oh, by the way, there's a game going on or there's a concert going out there. Because I think that's the other thing that teams are doing is that they're, they're really multi-purposing these fields. And so you have concerts, you may have a 5K starting out of there, finishing thing, those kind of things, and just other things other than baseball to attract. And eventually, you know, the thought process is that if you get them younger, that maybe eventually they'll, they'll get older and they get married and they settle down a little bit. I'm going to buy a season ticket. Mm-hmm. Building that fan base. And you start, you have to start with the families. Then it becomes those, the millennials, if you will. And then you build up your fan base. Because eventually, mm-hmm. you know, folks like me, you know, we won't be going to the games anymore. Sure. So we, we, that was a really broad answer. We've actually touched on a lot of yeah. areas that I have um, for future questions here. Um, but were there any uh, amenities that were included uh, for, for players that uh, you're seeing maybe uh, trending in, in a lot of minor leagues? Um, in the minor league, and I don't know how much you've, you've – oh, you probably do. You know, Major League Baseball will be dictating a lot of changes in the next couple of years mm-hmm. um, in the minor league, and it's specifically toward the players. And it has to do with player safety, has to do with player nutrition, um, really taking care of, because if you look at the history of minor leagues, um, a lot of the ballparks are not owned by the teams Mm -hmm. and they're owned by investors. They're owned by cities who have X amount of limited dollars and they want to put that in there. So you're kind of limited on that. And usually the player, especially in the minor league, the players, you have a certain guidelines that you have to meet and that's usually what they do. And that's, I think, what Major League Baseball is saying. You know what? These guidelines need to change. We need to put more emphasis on the players. Mm-hmm. And the minor leagues are pushing back and say, well, okay, if I'm going to put in X amount of dollars, I want to see something else for that because I'm not making any revenue because you control all the cards. You control the players, those kind of things. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic that will happen this year and next year. I think mm-hmm. all the facilities are going to be touched. In spring training, it's a little bit different because in, in our sense, and we didn't open up the PDC, it's opening up in August, is it's by far the largest player development complex that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. 110,000 square feet wow. of closed space. Not to mention we have a covered infield that's um, 40 feet tall. And then you have the normal batting. So there's a lot of different things. So this will be the state of the art in terms of nutrition, labs for pitching, and all the technology that goes into that, things that are not just in here. It's on that computer that's telling the velocity, the angle of your bat, those kind of things. I mean, the, this will be the state of the art when it opens. I believe it's open up in August mm-hmm. or to anybody else. And so it is, will become, in, in 
spring training, it becomes kind of a little bit of an arms race. Mm-hmm. And, and so some, some teams want to have the cutting edge. Some that have been around, you think of the Cubs, the uh, Cardinals, they're more traditionalists. Mm-hmm. Still have to, they know they've got to have that technology, but probably not to the extent of what Toronto is doing. Sure. Interesting. So I feel like a lot of MLB teams are making big investments in their spring training facilities. Uh, What do you think is kind of driving that? I think it's, um, I think it's because it recognizes this is an investment, even though the Mm -hmm. players, you don't have players staying around for a long time so that you feel that bond with the spectators, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's, it's because they're spending that much more money on these players and they want um, the control, because the newest kind of trend is putting these dormitories on the site. Hmm. And the reason why they're doing that is because they want to control what the players are eating, what the players are doing. It's kind of like, I don't want you off my site because something might happen to you. Right. They're good or bad, whatever. And then they also, if you think about where these players are coming from, Dominican, Republic, you know, a lot of the Caribbean area, they're coming up from there. You're getting some, some from Japan. You're getting a variety of players that are coming in. And so some of them have never seen the United States before. And so you have to educate them. You know, they've never probably dealt with that kind of money before. So, you know, financially. So they're setting up. So we have, we have a lot of classrooms, not only teaching the art of baseball, but it's teaching life. You know, it's kind of like um, what we all took in high school or college, kind of less life lessons, if you will. How sure. to survive on my own. I'm single. I'm in a different part of the world, you know, and you have limited amount of friends and you may not speak the language. Yeah. A lot of different challenges. A lot of different challenges. So I think that's what they're doing is they want to, they're investing in these players regardless of where they're coming from. And, and, and it, it truly is an investment form. And, you know, you think about access to food. And then what nutrition is a big part of what they do. And, and it's a training. You know, we're seeing also in the major league, the ballparks itself, enlarging their training areas. So like in Toronto, if something happens to somebody and they need a rehab, you're going to have to send them all the way down to Florida where you lose that little bit of control. So I, we've been seeing a little bit trend that you're, they're expanding their localized rehab so if it is something like a sprained ankle or something, you could take care of it right there versus a long-term, and then you send them down to Florida. Sure. Those are the kind of things that they're, they're seeing. I need to spend a lot of money, and I've got to make these guys strong enough. So the training nutrition is all part of that. So these guys don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I think you're seeing the investment into those kind of areas, the hydrotherapies, those kind of training areas. Those are where we're seeing a lot of the investments in terms of dollars. It's interesting because, again, you know, I think that's the trend elsewhere in sports. Um, College sports, I mean, even some high schools nowadays are uh, making a lot of investments in stuff like their athletic training. Um, So it's really interesting to kind of see how that translates at the professional level, even at spring training facilities. You're right. Yeah. Um, So you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but how are some of these facilities being used once spring training is over? I mean, once the regular season kind of kicks off. Yeah. Um, we're seeing, like, like we said, is for other sporting activities. Um, we're seeing festivals. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen this, even um, car shows, those kind of things where they open up the concourse. 
So you may not open up all the concession stands. You may open maybe one or two, but you have such a vast area that's usually covered in mm-hmm. concourse. So you could bring the festivals in, beer. You know, we 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 were talking to someone the other day that said we have this beer festival that that's around the city. You know, how can we tie that back in to the city? And so we're using you you can utilize those as well as meeting rooms. They're opening up like suites or clubs. We see a lot of clubs now, club spaces that have views out that are being utilized for weddings, mm-hmm. for, you know, like if you wanted a, a club to meet up there, those kind of, or even have, I've seen city council members having meetings up in there. Suites, sometimes we do um, specific suites that are like party suites, so they can be individual suites or you open them all up and they become uh, a three suite space. And you put video capabilities in there so you can host meetings and those kind of things. Um, and then I think the other thing that they're looking at is these, these standalone event spaces like we have down at TD. And it's, you could probably get 150 people in there maybe because you have a covered patio and you've got a low, but it has its own catering. You know, it has a kitchen close by and you don't have to open up the rest of the stadium. Mm. those kind of things so we're seeing that as a piece one one of the clients asked us could we do an education center mm-hmm. kind of interesting because you don't you don't think about the ballparks but it would work out perfectly where as long as it's flexible and i think that's the key you got to build in these flexible spaces so it can be you know and we talked about well let's say you had a, a child in, in high school going there and you could learn the art of baseball and the geometry you know the speed of the pitch the curve all that and then the you know trajectory if somebody hits it and we were talking about you can imagine some kid coming back that evening and telling their mom i bet that thing would hit maybe 450 feet so well how did you figure that well you do this this and this right so i think that's the kind of thing where they're trying to tie in um, these flexible spaces that could possibly use for other uses so they're bringing in all different kind of facets of the community and making sure that these facilities don't just you know go dormant after the month and a half or whatever of spring training right and you can imagine that um, it's their investment. You think mm-hmm. uh, down in Dunedin, it's a hundred and what was it, a hundred and twenty, hundred and two million dollar investment. Uh, Forty millions coming out of the city. Mm-hmm. Remember what the so there's a small coming out of the county, and then there's another small amount coming out of the state, and then the teams putting up the rest, if you will. So it is a combination of four entities, and typically. That's how it's done, whether or not you're in Arizona or Florida, mm-hmm. investment of the communities, or if you go to, like, we're opening up a project in Madison, Alabama here in a month. It's all by the city. Mm-hmm. So for them, for the constituents to come back to the community and say, oh, we're not going to do anything but play baseball here, it just doesn't sell. And a lot of these right. have to be supported by taxpayers. And so to not have something that gives back is just, just, I think you'd die on the vine. You just couldn't get it. So you got to have those kind of things. And, you know, one of the things you think about is like concerts. And you think about um, just if you're an arena and if you don't have the right type of access, you know, those promoters, they're not coming in there. So mm-hmm. we're developing kind of this package. You get semi trucks access onto the field. You have power hookup. So all they do is plug and play. And that's, so then all of a sudden you can talk to a promoter. Obviously it's not the big crowds because you're talking right. about a small 8,000 seat, but all of a sudden you can talk to the promoter and get on the path. 
said, listen, you know, it's all set up. We have 6,000 seats. You just drive your truck in, plug in, you perform, get back on the road. So quick and easy. So those are the kind of things you got to think about. They're not, they're not baseball, if you will. All the other things you just have, like the video in a, in a, in a club area that you can host a meeting. You know, all that AV stuff has to be in there. So we're putting dollars to that, even though it doesn't have anything to do with baseball. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I, I guess that kind of speaks to my next question here is um, how have expectations around these kinds of facilities evolved? I mean, are fans and our players kind of expecting amenities that are more similar to ones that they might see when they go to a game during the regular season? Or how does that, um, how has that changed? Yeah, I think you do see um, the, the fans, for sure, things are changing. And it's actually interesting. I think some things that happen in the minor league translate back up to the major league. So it's, it's almost like not, not those events that are kind of transferring back down. Because minor league has to, you know, you think about they have fewer games and they don't have the talent, you know. Especially when you're talking about single double A, you, you may get a local talent. But most of the talent, you rarely see them start to climb up. So you've really got to focus on an entertainment dollar. And they're, they're competing against, you know, going out to a water park, going out to the movies with your families. And they're really family-based. So they have to have all these entertainment. And so that's why I think the fans are seeing, well, what can I get at somewhere else? You know, they may have, I know at El Paso, they have movie nights. Mm-hmm. And they'll open it up and they'll pitch, you know, you can get out on the field. You know, just like you're seeing, like you do at the backyard. You put a movie up on the screen. Yeah. Blanket, bring your, you know, chair, and you sit there and have movie night. So they're, that's they're competing against. So they have to kind of do that. So I think there is a level of expectation. I think now you've got to be – you have to have a bar. You've got to have those millennials that are coming here. So you've got to have a bar. And mm-hmm. to be accessible, right, so they can come out. And it doesn't – it can't be kind of pushed over in a corner. It's got to be visible. Because they want to be seen. I think that's the, the whole thing is that everybody wants to be seen. You know, look at me. I'm here. And send it I out. do it for the gram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what we talk about. So I think so. But for the players, I think there is a level of expectation that I've made it to the big leagues. Yeah, I'm, I may be in the triple A and I'm, or a double A or single A and I'm taking a bus. But I'm a professional athlete. Right. There is some expectations. And there is some expectation that all the fields are going to be different. It's going to play different, you know? So there's a level of home field advantage. Mm-hmm. But you can start to design. We, in most of the leagues, you don't design for whether it's a pitcher, you know, pitcher's um, field or a, a home run, you know, for the, the batter. Because you just don't know. And they change out. You know, that's why I think single and double A are a little bit easier because your players don't change as much. Triple A, come the end of the season, they're pretty much stripped of all the mm-hmm. players because they go up. And so for them, it's really hard because the product changes out there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's got to be more. Yeah, they're winning. I think I was talking to somebody other one of our clients, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It has the highest grossing, I think, ballpark of any of them. Hmm. And their team normally is like 500 or below. Wow. It's, they, they just have a great experience? or Exactly. They bring it back. And it comes down to, you know, I was – um, tell, he says it all comes down to like just trash. You know, you think about the simplest thing. If, not, if a trash is full and things are spilling over, that's not a good experience. Right. You're in line in a concession stand, it's not a good experience. 
waiting in line for bathrooms, not good experience. So it's all about that. And so we, we tend to think about these designs as creating that unique experience, but creating a, you know, even a standard concession stand. We look at, okay, what's the queuing going to be? Can we make it more efficient for, for the spectator? So I think those are the kind of expect, because, you know, we're, we live in a fast society, right? You want everything just like that. And so if it's not like that, you're disappointed and maybe I won't come back. Sure. So the idea of the food trucks or the chef that can turn things quickly and it's made in front of you so you know what you're going to get versus something packaged that you don't know where it came from, right? Those are the kind of things. Is it, those are the expectations of your experience somewhere else has to happen here at the ballparks. Mm. So how do you kind of approach some of those facility operations kinds of concerns as a designer? Uh, I, I guess you, is it just kind of, getting a lot of reps and like learning from experience yeah. that work. Uh, a lot of it's conversation with the ownerships mm-hmm. in the, in the single A and those, those, those smaller markets, they're running the show. They're not relying. A lot of them run their own concessions. So it's a lot different than major league Bay ball, ballparks. Mm-hmm. Similar kind of thing going on, but down below, this is what they do. They spend, you know, 365 days trying to figure out, how do I get the next person in here? I mean, I've been in offices where they list the salesman up, like a whiteboard. Okay, how many sales have you made? I mean, they're constantly on there because that's, that's what it does. Because if you don't do that, it'll fold. But the operations, we also have, um, we have folks that we can reach out to that, do, that does these um, facility audits. And so they'll go to a game, right? And they'll look around and, you know, They'll look, at, they'll look at everything, how long you spent in a ticket, in a line for a ticket, right? mm-hmm. or how long you were in there, or what the trash was, how many times somebody picked up trash, and how, you, how that trash was traveled. A lot of times you pick up a trash bag and it's leaking. Right. Right? So there's a lot of those kind of things that it's almost like you, you, you can't avoid like an arena or a convention center where all the service is coming from the back. It's invisible. In ballpark, right. it's not like that. You rarely get a chance to, because square footage is a premium. So a lot of it's a timing kind of deal. How many of these concessions there are, where the receptacles, where you can get them out quickly. So you may be on the concourse for a little bit, or you have a side door that you're not coming out on the concourse. So through those experiences, we've learned, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's, I just feel like that's, uh, that's really interesting because, you know, people in our audience, they, these are the people who are running these facilities, and it's just mm-hmm. interesting to kind of hear the designer's perspective on some of those questions. Yeah. So, Great. Uh, next question for you. Um, okay. So, lately, I know there have been a lot of uh, foul ball injuries in uh, mm-hmm. MLB at the major uh, league level, uh, and, and I know that that's kind of driven uh, calls for them to extend the netting in a lot of their ballparks. Is that translated to spring training and minor league facilities as well? Or? Yes, it has. Uh-huh. The same, same reasoning. Um, it's really to protect the fans down there. And probably even more so when you're down, you think about somebody coming from Toronto who's been in the cold. Yeah. Been there in the sun, you know, and I may be Instagramming something out and I'm not paying attention. I'm more interested in soaking up the sun, getting a tan and heading back. So I know at TD, we extended it all the way down. We raised it down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that is something. And it, so it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Right? So no longer are you free. You know, you've got a net in front of you. And what's interesting, TD had, I bet they had eight poles behind home plate as it goes around the geometry with netting in there. Now they don't have any of that, but it's extended all the way down. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it translates and, and it's the right thing to do because the same reason for this thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, with, with the cell phones being a, a distraction, you know, the, the old ballpark rule, um, you kind of assume some risks when you enter a stadium, you know, but it's really difficult for any of us to pay attention to anything for that long. These days, <laughs> if you want, so. And the balls are coming off that much quicker. They're a lot hotter now right. versus some of them maybe back when because the, the balls are, you know, juiced a little bit. So, it, and they're just getting stronger. Players are getting much stronger, swinging the bat a lot faster. Yeah. Right. It's dangerous. So it's a, it's a really difficult com, uh, combination of things, uh, factors, and it, just make, it does make it a little bit more dangerous. So I guess we're, we're glad that um, the netting is kind of just being extended. There's, you're just kind of making that sacrifice. Right. You're, you know, I think they're, you think about what hockey did. Mm-hmm. Or if you remember back when uh, I think it was a kid that was killed off of a shot mm-hmm. and within, you know, shoot, within months, Netting went all the way up. Way around. Yep. They didn't hesitate. They just, you know, hockey just came out and said, listen, this is what we're going to do. Dashboards are not, not tall enough, but we're going to put netting up. And people just started to live with it. And so now I think that's what's going to happen is that you're going to see across the board, all the netting all the way down, and it's just going to be part of life. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of the right, it's the right thing. To yeah, do. It, it is the right thing. All right. Uh, final question for you. How does the climate in some of these uh, spring training kind of uh, environments, so, you know, Arizona and Florida, um, how does that kind of affect the design of, of, a, of a ballpark uh, compared to, you know, either ones that are further up north or right. how does that kind of come into? I think um, there's a couple of things there. Um, obviously, shade is a mm-hmm. big piece of it, right? Probably more so. The difference, you know, think about Florida and Arizona, you have the dry heat versus the wet heat. Right. And, you know, so when you're doing in Florida, it's about the shade and it's about, about the wind movement and allowing breezes to come through. You know, I was just down there for opening and it was humid. You know, this time of year, you wouldn't think you'd have it, but sure, right. it's humid down there. So you constantly, and a lot of those old ballparks don't have the, because if we were doing a ballpark today, we'd have an open 360 concourse. So you're at the concession, you turn around and you see the field. These older ballparks um, that we've seen renovation, it's the concourse is below the stands. And so even though you're in the shade, there is no breeze. So we're opening up the portals, the vomitories, those kind of things to allow breezes to come in and a little bit more of connectivity to the field mm-hmm. and those things to happen. And, um, and also the difference is it's the rain. When it rains there at 4 o'clock, I mean, it's just dumping. So yeah. have areas that's enclosed or not enclosed, but just covered with a hard roof. When you think about Arizona, it's again about the wind to capture it, let it go through, but it's about shade, not so much the rain. So you can get away with doing um, shade structures. So they're not a solid roof mm-hmm. Do those kind of things. And, and then you have the vegetation is another key component. You know, you think about TD, even though it was in a residential, had a lot of, um, native trees that were down that you could place so you don't have to build a structure you could use some of the native um, trees down they're not so much the palm trees you don't get anything off that but some of the deciduous trees mm-hmm. in arizona it's kind of opposite you really don't have you have some deciduous but not as much you know it's more the the vertical pieces whether it's palms or the sombreros those kind of things that you would have in there um so there is a little bit and then the orientation if we have some latitude, you can start to, you know, it's a little hard because in some places you want to get your back to the sun. 
So you're not putting the fans in the sun. Right. When you're coming from the north, a lot of people like to have the sun in their face. <laughs> Some of that you, you've got to play with, even though during the, the, you know, the summer. And right now, it's really it's fine. But when you get in the dead of the summer, when the teams are all gone and you may have a rookie or a short season you know, playing there, mm-hmm. and you, you may have only 1,000 people. It'd be nice to have so it doesn't look like a completely in, uh, empty ballpark. You start to design these group areas so you don't have a lot of empty seats but you have these areas that people can kind of congregate in. So that's sure. the trends I think we're seeing across the board is that you're just not putting chairs in there anymore, you know, mm-hmm. limited amount of that. So it's not, it's more about capacity than it is about butts and chairs, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I'm more of these areas where they're just gathering. And so that makes the places look, even though you have a smaller crowd, it doesn't look like it's completely empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are there any special considerations um, with uh, the climate when it comes to uh, like playing surface or anything like that? Um, there's a little, um, whether it's artificial or grass. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we've been finding where artificial, just the heat is just absorbed and puts back out. But then you have to think about, you know, grass is perfect for, you know, really for any of these situations. But you got to think about what other uses you can you know, be able to do. Right. right. Start. If you want to, if you have a field manager, a groundskeeper says, well, I'm going to, you're going to do what onto my field, you know? And that's what, that's, I think the battle you have with the operations. And we see that all the time. We're like, okay, I'm going to agree like soccer, you know, El Paso has a USL team. They put in a retractable mound, but it's all grass. And they just, the groundskeeper says, okay, you're going to play 10 games here. Okay. I just need to know when they are so I can turn over. Because then it becomes a hazard to the players, not only just soccer, but the, the baseball guys when they come back. Sure. And you've got wear, wear, you know, worn surfaces or you, you had to put down sod, you know, versus artificial where, yeah, you may have a lot of heat build up, but I don't have to do anything to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just have to kind of cool the surface down. But it's, it's kind of an interesting dilemma, and I think you've got to have, and for El Paso, I mean, that's a real good example where it's a natural turf, but they do a ton of things on it. Sure. But they've got a groundskeeper that knows that going into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing, and I understand that, and I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. it's better for the community, better for really his job, if you will. But it's, it's all that. But you have to kind of consider those things when you start talking about it. And the other thing is the, just the play of the ball. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Difference between them and um, why, why you're doing those things. Well, I, I think that's uh, going to about do it for me today, Mike. Thanks so okay. much for taking some time for us today. Oh, appreciate it. Nice meeting you as well. Nice to meet you as well. Fan. That's okay. We'll <laughs> let that go. <laughs> I appreciate that, Mike. All right. You take care. AB Show is a solution-focused event for athletics, fitness, recreation, and military professionals. No matter where you are in your career or the types of projects you're working on, AB Show's leading educational conference has sessions that will provide you with actionable insights, unique solutions, and new ideas you can implement right away. Learn more and register at abshow.com. All right, welcome back. Nice nice uh, interview. That Thank you very idea. much. Yeah, that was interesting stuff. Um, so just a couple things to wrap up here. Um, our college athletics survey uh, follows on the heels of our college rec survey, um, really trying to get some more information for our readers about these industries. Uh, 
the showcase, the architectural showcase, that's been ex- the deadline for submissions has been extended to f- March twenty fourth. Um, anything else, Jason? Um, just make sure that you get those showcase projects uh, submitted by the twenty fourth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's always such a great opportunity. It's one of our, our favorite issues here at Athletic Business is the showcase issue, um, especially since we get to look at all these cool facilities all around the country. Right. So, yeah, one of our favorite ones. Yep, and uh, I think that's about it for this week. Yeah, so until next time, take it easy.